good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are on our beautiful planet. My name is Angela Carson. I'm the host of Always Get Lost, a podcast about life and travel abroad. Today I'm coming to you again from the Riau Islands, sat on a pretty stretch of coastline on the island of Batam. My windows and doors are completely open, so if you hear the sounds of nature or what looks like an impending storm, please forgive me. Now, today we're going to talk about fearless female solo travel with a friend of mine who I met about a decade ago at a rooftop bar in Bangalore, India. Her name is Alexa Humphreys. She's a humanitarian who has worked assessing the nutrition status of populations in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. She currently works with Action Against Hunger and the Technical Rapid Response Team. She is a crazy, addicted, avid traveler, a foodie, a cyclist. Alexa is originally from the U.S., but today she is an immigrant living in Portugal. And we're going to be talking about the first solo trips we both took, about the kind of trips that we both find enriching. We're going to swap tales of our most epic solo trip, talk a bit about planning, talk about which countries we would recommend to first-time female solo travelers, and the number one tip for really getting to know a city. So let's get right into it and chat with Alexa Humphreys. Hello, Alexa. How are you? It is wonderful to see your face. Hi, Angela. I am so well. Thank you. Um, thanks for having me today. It's fabulous. Oh, thank you so much. You're my second female storyteller that I'm having on. I'm very happy to have you. So where are you in the world today? Where am I in the world? Um, I'm currently in, in Portugal. Um, I'm in a little town called Regengush de Montserrat. I'm trying to pronounce that as Portuguese as <laughs> um, I'm kind of on the east, um, along the eastern side of the country on the border of Spain. Oh, nice. How, how many hours is that from where you, you live in Lisbon, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm based in Lisbon in the capital. Um, by car, it's probably, uh, I'd say two or three hours. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mentioned in the intro that you and I met on a rooftop. At a bar, actually kind of the, the most swank and swish lounge bar that there was in Bangalore at the time called Sky. And I walked up to you because you were behind the bar shaking cocktails. And in India, it's illegal for women to work at bars or it's illegal for women to be bartenders or to work in a bar in general. I mean, I, it's funny because at the time, I don't know if that was legislated or if that was just more common practice. But no, no, that there, was a law. It was a proper law. Yeah, because I asked a couple of bar owners and yeah, they, they said they did it as a precaution to keep women safe. It's so interesting because the, the only thing I really knew at the time was that there were essentially no female bartenders in India. And I was actually in India um, for other reasons. I was I was um, I was volunteering and working with another organization, and it was a friend that was like, "Oh, you bartend? You should bartend on the weekends here. It would be very fun." And I I think that for that bar, they were willing to take. I mean, I was essentially let's be real. I was I was basically an illegal immigrant. We could talk about it like that. I was I was working illegally to be there, but I think they took it on it kind of as a publicity stunt because to have a female behind the bar was so unique in India. Of course they did. Yeah. It, it was a huge risk for them too. I I don't think you ended up doing it as many times as you thought you would. I think maybe the they became a little bit more cautious and how how many how many weekends did you bartend? Well, I started at the Sky Bar where we met, and then I shifted to Ice Bar. Um, okay, in the Taj. I guess, I guess in, yeah, in the Taj. I guess in all, it was like probably three of the six months I was there, I bartended. Oh, interesting. I don't remember ever seeing you at Ice, but I only went on Friday nights with my friend Joshi. Do you remember Joshi? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember Joshi. Yeah. Yeah. So we would go, Friday nights was our Ice Night. I don't know. I can't remember why, ladies' night or something, maybe. Don't yeah. Know. <laughs> okay, so what do you remember from when we first met? I just remember that you came up and walked up to me and started asking some question, like, where are you from? And um, me, I, I will say I'm, I'm originally from the U.S., but when I'm in other countries, I somewhat 
tend to avoid Americans because <laughs> I'm not yeah, I hear you. I'm not there to meet Americans, you know, but you in particular, I just thought you were you were the coolest and that we had to be. I instantly knew we would have to be friends. <laughs> That's so sweet. I yeah, I remember and I just thought you were so fabulous behind the bar because you're how tall are you? You're almost six foot, right? Yeah, 5'11". Yep. 5'11". And beautiful. And you were just, you had this big, beautiful, bright smile as well. So yeah, that was, that was a fun, a fun encounter. It was a fortunate encounter meeting you. Vividly remember going out and having a lot of fun and dancing to Rihanna. I do too. We have sweaty, sweaty dance photos on Facebook somewhere. Yes. Yes. Cleavage. I remember cleavage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. It would have to be yours, not mine. <laughs> I was pretty careful about that stuff. So I want to talk about solo travel today because just like you, I've been passionate about being a solo traveler since I was 20 years old. So it's going on just about 30 years in October now, which makes my stomach hurt when I say I'm almost 50, but that is the case. So I want to get into not just how to solo travel, but share experiences so that anyone listening, uh, you know, a, a young girl or maybe not young girl, but a, a girl or a young woman who is thinking about solo travel can hear some of our fun, you know, hear the passion behind the words and, and the feelings that we have about solo travel. And we'll give some tips as well, but I, I just want to swap tails for a bit, if that's okay. Yeah, I think that's great. I'm very happy to share some some road stories. I haven't been solo traveling quite as long. Um, I think this is coming up on 14 years of solo traveling. I think you're uh, so 20 years younger than me, aren't you? <laughs> what are you, 30, 31? I am 34. Oh, you're 30. Oh, you all grew up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> you know? All right. So we're 16 years apart then. When was your first solo trip? What was your first solo trip? Tell me all about it. My first ever solo trip actually happened by accident. So I was 20 at the time and a good friend and I, a male friend, um, we both have um, Norwegian heritage. In, in our background, both American, but with Norwegian heritage. So we planned to do a three-week backpacking trip around Norway. We wanted to spend some time in the cities and some time in nature, and we had this whole thing planned out. And then last minute, he wasn't able to go. And me being a very stubborn person, I was like, well, I'm still going to go. You know, Damn right. I'm not going to waste this opportunity. Just because you can't go. <laughs> Exactly. Like, I'm not going to wait until, you know, years in the future when you have the opportunity. And so I ended up um, taking a step back and restructuring the whole trip. So I decided, okay, this is my trip now. I'm going to start in France because I have a friend who's studying abroad there. Um, I'm going to travel by train. I'm going to work my way up through several countries and end up in Norway and finish the trip there. Um, ended up being a fabulous trip. First, oh, because I bet. Wow. First, because it was my first time in Europe, but second, because I got to re really make it my own. And not that if it had gone the other way and I traveled with another person, not that it wouldn't have been a great experience, but I wouldn't have had the same ownership of the trip and I wouldn't have had that same sense of accomplishment and just knowing that I can navigate through the world by myself. So it was actually, for me, it was a, ended up being a huge opportunity that it was a solo trip. What what's um something fun that happened or something memorable that that you kind of still see so vividly as a memory from that trip? It's a good question. Among um, so many memorable things was I arrived in Oh, no, when I was in Germany, um I had a there had been a foreign exchange student when I was in high school and when I was going through Hamburg, I was like, oh, I wonder if he's if he's back here, if he's if he's at Hamburg. And I sent him a message over, I think it was MySpace at the time. Yeah, I think it was probably. right before <laughs> MySpace died. And he and he and he found the message and he ended up um uh like just before he deleted his account, found the message, we connected, and I went and stayed with him and his family for two days. 
Oh, that's so nice. And he showed me all around the town. And, you know, it's just, you know, a foreign exchange student in the U.S. You don't think you'll ever see them again, but um, stayed with them. And I vividly remember one morning his grandmother, who didn't speak any English, makes us breakfast and she made us something called met. And met is um, raw ground beef on bread, like you butter the bread, and then it's raw ground beef, and then salt, pepper, and I think minced red onions on top. That so just, I just sounds remember. really strange for breakfast, but I'm. how was it? It was very good. I mean, Germans are big meat eaters, so it's like, okay, I guess this is what they do. I. <laughs> well, and I bet you ate so well at their home, too, because it's, when you're solo traveling, you're always out. You're, you know, you, you dine mm-hmm. out, but it's hit and miss because you don't know where it's going to be. And it's not a home cooked meal with someone who's making it with love generally. Yeah. So anyway, that was a memorable part of that trip was just that the reconnection with someone that I hadn't seen in a long time and hadn't imagined I'd be able to see again and then getting to to meet their family and stay in their home. Nice. nice. Okay. Well, mine, I was also 20 years old. I was attending the University of California, Irvine, and I also had a job, a full-time job. Well, I think it was maybe 30 hours a week. And I remember just feeling completely overloaded and stressed and wanted to escape. And none of my girlfriends, I was, I was roommates with four of my girlfriends from Redlands, which is the town I grew up in, which is about an hour and a half from uh, the beach where we were living. We were on the beach in Newport, um, just having the best time. And none of them could get away. Well, either they didn't have the money or they couldn't get away. And I ended up finding this really super cheap week stay in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I, the hotel was, it was kind of one of those like Club Med-esque places where the staff also do entertainment at night. And so it was a little bit on the cheesy and weird side, but the room opened up onto the sea and it was beautiful. And the first morning I was there, I went down to the lobby and there was this really cute boy who was sat at a table who was the travel agent that would come in every day. And he arranged the sightseeing trips for the the guests. And I remember going up and talking to him And we had such a fun chat. He ended up inviting me out that night with his friends. And we went in downtown Puerto Vallarta for dinner. And then they took me to a bar and then a dance club. And I was out almost all night. And it was so much fun. And I really liked this this boy. And I think we kissed the first night. It was very exciting. And um, the next day... I went back, you know, to say hi, the hours I knew he was there. And I ended up booking a, uh, an excursion for myself. I think he recommended the best one. And it was like a, a donkey or mule ride through the hills of Puerto, you know, behind Puerto Vallarta. And, you know, with a homemade food and you're outdoors all day. And it was really, really fun. But I literally just spent my days at the beach or at the pool at the hotel. And then my nights were with Danielle and his brother and their girlfriend, not girlfriends, but friends in the group that were girls and ended up having the best, best time. It made the trip like much more culturally diverse than I would have had because I I went to um, one of their apartments and they were taking me to places where I was the only güera, you know, the only blonde that's what they call the blonde Americans down there. So I was the only, really the only American or the only tourist there. So it just made it so, so, so exciting, that trip. And it was nice because I really do like to go out and dance and drink. So it was nice not having to consider doing that on my own, on my first solo trip, I guess, because mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I probably wouldn't have Done. I, I would do it now. Like now I take my laptop and I go to a bar and I sit at the bar, you know, and do my work and just to get a feel for a city. But I don't, I don't know I would have done it back then. I probably would have stayed at the hotel 
except for that excursion that I took and like a day mm-hmm. walking around shopping in Puerto Vallarta. So that was, that was good fun. Yeah. It's so nice when you can land in a new place and kind of build a little crew for the time that you're there or like find, find a group of people. Um, obviously that can, that can make the whole experience, but I do think going to a bar on your own, especially when I was younger is quite intimidating. Yeah, I agree. In a way, because going to a bar, it's like, all right, I'm at a bar. Unless you bring, like you said, a laptop or a book or something that gives you another purpose while you're there, it kind of just looks like you're there to pick up guys. And it's like, I don't necessarily want to pick up guys. Like, <laughs> I want to be in a social space. Oh, so I love that. over the years, you had to have done some trips because you've, I tried to remember, have you been to 57 countries? Um, I believe it's 58 now. Sorry, 58. All right. So what is it about solo travel that you find enriching? I I know you mentioned that you, you felt there was a sense of accomplishment with that first solo trip, but Mm -hmm. what is it that now going on what uh, 16 years that you still find so enriching that makes you step out and go solo travel? Yeah, I mean, I I would say um, going on about fourteen years <laughs> of solo traveling. Oh, sorry, I, sorry. Yeah, you're thirty four, no, okay. not thirty six. Okay. No, I'll be I'll be there soon. That's fine. Just grab <laughs> me up. Um, there are, I, I mean, obviously with my with my as as in my first story, my first solo travel happened by mistake. You know, it wasn't originally planned to be solo traveling, and and then as time went on, I just found that. I I kept solo traveling because I wasn't finding others whose whether it was the timeline or the availability of the or the objectives for their trip it just wasn't aligning with what I wanted to do. So I kept solo traveling because it allowed me to see what I wanted to see and have the experiences I wanted to have and it really evolved, you know, it started being kind of out of necessity and then evolved into my preferred way of traveling most of the time to to be quite honest. And I think there's, I think it's twofold. I think the first piece is that as a solo traveler, you're so open to meeting other people. You're, you know, not to discredit traveling in a group or with a, with a friend, because I've, I've traveled in all of those ways. But when you're traveling with a, with a friend or a partner or in a group, you're kind of dedicated to that construct, to those people. But when you travel solo, you're, you're just open to meeting all kinds of people, you know, you're more likely to engage with conversation with people on the street, in the restaurants, in in other social settings. So it's, um, in a lot of ways, I think it allows me to experience more. And then the second piece is, is that feeling of accomplishment, that feeling of, you know, I've, um, everything from the logistics to, you know, finding, finding my way around a new city, that's something that I did and I accomplished. So I think there's, it's, it's twofold how, how enriching that can be. Yeah. I don't think I could say anything better than what you just did, because for me, it was the same. I went the first time because no one else could. And I thought, well, I'm not staying home for that reason. And now Mm -hmm. as I, I get older, it's just, it's just easier to be able to travel my way and my style and, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be able to talk to who I want and do what I do and change my plans in a heartbeat if I want to, because I, I love canceling things. So <laughs> it works out so much better. I think one of the things I I realize from solo travel trips as well is that it it, it teaches me that I can do anything. Kind of like what you're saying about feeling accomplished. It also it gives confidence because you really are out there doing something that not everyone does. Not everyone even understands or sees as like, I get comments on my YouTube channel all the time. Like, why don't you have a boyfriend? You need to find a man so you can go on. You're not alone. Just like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? Like, I, 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 I hate that. <laughs> no, no, that is not, that is not how life gets better. Like no. I'm, it's, it's mind boggling to me, but yeah. you know, everybody is different. So hopefully anyone listening to this, who's thinking about solo travel will on their first trip, start feeling everything you've just said about 
about solo travel because it really, it really does hit you instantly and it stays with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I don't mean to get um, too esoteric during this conversation, but I was reflecting a lot on solo travel in preparation for this call. And I mean, if you if you take a step back historically, no, let's say for all the males that could be listening to this, no offense, no offense to men, all the lovely, wonderful men out there, but we should be realistic. We should be real about the fact that this world was created for and by men. And historically, for you know, a lot of um, for biological realities, women have historically been closer to the home and the hearth. And spaces outside of that have been created largely by and for men. So political, economic, but as well as travel. Like so many of the spaces that we as female travelers decide to to enter were created for men even just from the beginning so i guess all that that waxing poetic is to say that we we should be very proud of being solo female travelers and we should be aware that sometimes we're in spaces that are not considered they're not built for they're not designed for they're not meant for women to be there but the more that we go there the more that we push that envelope and we push those limits um, we're actually normalizing women being in those spaces. That's so, so true. That that is that is wonderfully true. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking I was thinking about this a lot yesterday, and I feel like that's a that's a really strong takeaway for me because sometimes it is difficult being a female solo traveler. Um, but we're we're making the you know we're making the world a little bit better for 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 future uh, female solo travelers to come. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yeah. <laughs> so something I always hear from people um, since I started solo traveling and people are a little more used to my shenanigans now, but I always hear be safe, be safe, be safe until I want to like, you know, <laughs> it's going to be um, fine. It's going to be fine. So if I if I had a, a nickel for every time someone told me to be safe, I would be a very rich woman today. But I did think it would be good to talk about safety on this on this podcast because um, it is a it is something to be considered. And you having about, I mean, you have almost twice the the solo traveling experience as I do. Do you have any mm, reflections on safety as a female traveler, or do you have any maybe any stories to tell about that? Yeah, I'm guessing that you're going to have better tips than I will because I tend to not play it very safe and to just do whatever the hell I want. And so far it's worked out. The only time I've ever been mugged was when I was living in Spain. Like the I on any of my trips except for one time when I was 21 in Spain and down in the south, the, a man, I, I was traveling with a girlfriend and a man did like start, he followed us to the hotel. And then when we went into our room and locked it, he came and was knocking on the, on the door and trying to get in. And that was quite terrifying. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, people are good. And I find that when I'm on my own, I I do like hold my bag a little bit differently or secure it on my body a bit differently. I do try to, you know, stay in well-lit streets at night and, you know, generally try not to be stupid, but I just carry on. And it's, it's kind of like an accident. Um, You know, you don't ever expect an accident to happen and you can count on one hand the times you've had true accidents in life. And I think the, true, the same is true with when you're traveling. You don't need to expect that something terrible is going to happen. I, I ended up moving to Mexico after that trip because mm-hmm. I thought I had fallen in love with the cute boy, Danielle. Oh. <laughs> and I would literally, in my Jeep Wrangler, I took my Jeep Wrangler from California down to Puerto Vallarta. And I would ride around in my bikini with my top down on my Jeep, like just so I was so stupid, so stupid. So I, I'm hoping you have some good tips because mine is just use common sense. And okay, let me see how to put this. 
I have <laughs> had hookups when I've traveled as well mm-hmm. in different countries. And I think the safest thing is to always go back to your room. Don't go to their room. Don't go to their home. You know, there, mm-hmm. there are little things like that that you can do to try and try and stay safe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Please tell me you have some good tips because I am the worst person about safety because I just go balls to the wall and do whatever the hell I want. But honestly, I think there is wisdom in that. I know that sounds crazy, (laughs) but there is wisdom in knowing what you want to do and going for it and applying common sense. The difficulty with safety and the reason I get so frustrated when people are like, be safe, be safe, be safe, be safe, be safe, (laughs) is because... At some point, the reason they keep saying that is because we're never going to be considered to be fully safe unless we are either are male or are with a male. There's that underlying assumption we are never enough to be fully safe of and by our own fruition, our own our own capacities. And that really that really frustrates me. I don't know if I have a lot of tips per se. It's just you know be aware of your surroundings and listen to your That's- intuition. Yeah, that that one's really good too. Like don't have a headset, have just one earbud in, not both. If you're Mm -hmm. listening to music and walking around, don't Mm -hmm. mindlessly on your mobile without taking your surroundings into, into, Mm -hmm. without taking, what am I trying to say? Into into consideration or into. Thank you, Alexa. (laughs) No worries. But I guess I mean like really one thing that I think I've, developed a lot during my travels is my intuition and that and when I say intuition I mean being able to sense when in when a situation just doesn't feel right and I just leave that situation I don't need to stay there if my gut is telling me something is wrong and also intuition in terms of really being able to read people I mean I I'm not I'm not perfect but I feel like I'm pretty good if someone approaches me I can tell pretty quickly what they want you know, um, are they want to steal something from me? Are they, do they have something sexual in mind? Um, are they just really curious? Are they, they're kind and want to check in and make sure I'm okay. Like there's people can approach you with many different, um, intentions in mind. So I feel like my intuition is really developed and I know when to be rude to people and tell them to leave fuck me alone <laughs> and I know when to be when to be kind and take time and, and have conversations with people so I think um you know we're we're never going to be quote-unquote enough because we are women right we're In weaker physically exactly. and we're, yes quote-unquote we'll never be enough to fully take care of ourselves um but I I completely I, I have huge air quotes there because I think that's that's bullshit um so we should just be aware of our surroundings, strong, adaptable, listen to our intuitions, listen to our guts. Um, even though the the world of travel wasn't built for women, I think we can also be much better travelers than men in a lot of ways. Oh, I agree with that. Yes, right on sister. <laughs> and not to get too caught up on this, but I will say that one thing that is against us in the world is pockets are gendered. Um, pockets are very rare (laughs) on female clothing. Why don't all my dresses have pockets? It drives me crazy. Like I am dying. I think I'm going to design my own Alexa travel jacket. I'm dying to have a a really nice, just a beautiful, versatile jacket that has an interior pocket for my passport. One on each side too. Yeah. (laughs) Passport. Like I love men are so lucky. They get all these wonderful, you know, useful pockets and we're given nothing. So we end up having to dangle everything on a little purse on the end of our arms. Where are my damn pockets? Yeah. Whenever I find a dress with pockets, I generally end up picking it up because it is such a novelty. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. So tell me, let's, let's talk fun. Let's talk fun now. Tell me about your okay. most epic, epic, epic solo trip of all time. Okay. Um, or, or, I, or just an epic trip that you're proud of. Okay. I have had a number of epic solo trips, but I am going to do a bit of a shameless plug about the trip that I'm on now. Go girl. <laughs> Start off with, I love riding bicycles and I love um, bicycle touring. So basically traveling by bicycle, carrying what you need with you and seeing the world in that way. I think seeing the world from a bicycle is a beautiful thing. 
my current trip that I'm on right now, um, I'm actually cycling around, I'm cycling around the country of uh, Portugal, a 30 day cycling trip, completely solo. I'm not with a group. I'm not with a company. I've completely planned the trip myself. Um, I'm carrying everything I need with me on my bicycle. There's no support vehicle or anything. And uh, I'm just so excited about this trip. Um, obviously, there's the additional layer of, of risk. The COVID-19 pandemic is obviously a concern. In Portugal, um, it's not great, but it's fairly controlled. So I'm just monitoring the situation closely. Well, and but you're outdoors, general, so you just need to worry when you're at the restaurants and, and the okay. hotel. Exactly. Yeah. And being outdoors, I feel much, I'm much safer. I know I'm not taking public transportation. I'm not taking trains. Uh, it's actually kind of an ideal way to be traveling right now. But I literally, I have a little bag on my handlebars and on one side, I have a mask and on the other outside pocket, on the other side, I have my hand sanitizer. So I've got my like... <laughs> Your kit's all there. Yeah, exactly. So, like the, okay. okay. I cannot imagine doing a cycling tour so what are you carrying like are you carrying things on your back are you carrying do you have a at the back of the bike does it have a can you talk tell me all about that I want to know what you brought (laughs) with you and how you're carrying it yeah so I um for this trip I've I'm traveling the lightest I've ever traveled I've done other long distance cycling trips with other people where I had more um bags like you can have the bags that go over the the sides of the tires basically For this trip, um, I am traveling the lightest I've ever traveled. I have that tiny little bag on the handlebars, which is kind of like a purse that's where, you know, money and phone and credit cards and and my COVID-19 kit is. And then I have a bag. um, I have a small rack that goes over the back tires behind the seat and a very small bag there. And I'm talking bare essentials. I barely have more clothes than what I'm cycling in. And a few tools to work on the bike, fix the bike if I need to for something minor. And some toiletries, and that's about it. And you, Very you s- streamlined. No laptop? No. What, what have you got for electronics? For electronics, I have my phone and not much else. I'm actually, um, for this trip, I am posting photos daily on Instagram at Alexa Travels the Globe. Well, and you're doing, you're doing daily live videos on Instagram as well, which I find quite, quite fun because you talk people through your plan for the day. Yeah. And so I'm doing in the mornings on Instagram, um, at Alexa Travels the Globe, I do a really brief little live and I show a bit of what I'm seeing. So it could be a landscape or a site or something and kind of talk people through that. I wanted to say too, another thing that's really special about this trip for me is that I'm, I'm currently an immigrant in Portugal. I'm a resident and I am on track that hopefully in a few years I can apply for citizenship. And so this trip for me is also not only is it, you know, a wonderful, a wonderful travel experience. It's a, it's a way to get to know better the country that I'm trying to make my home. So that's been it's a beautiful aspect of this is getting to see small towns and villages and, and try the cuisine in different places and, and see the different sites, the, the natural wonders of the country. Because It's actually a very geographically diverse and interesting country, even though it's small. Nice. Well, okay. I've seen the photo of you at Petra. So I kind of thought that your most epic story was going to be something like Petra, but was that a work trip that you were on? I mean, were you there on assignment? No, Petra was interesting because I was actually working in Kabul in Afghanistan at the time. And we had a week of elections where our, all of our operations would be completely shut down, just no movement whatsoever. So I actually opted to, instead of being stuck in Kabul for that week, to go to Jordan. I had another friend that was working there, so I wanted to visit her. Um, But to go to Petra, I was just like, I'm in Jordan. I have to go to Petra. So one of the days I rented a car and just drove down to to Petra, which was really fun. That's amazing. I also like driving in other countries because I think the culture (gasps) of driving is so different in different places. Especially when when they're on the other side of the road. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's tricky. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have definitely arrived in a country and jumped in my rental car and realized that the driving console was on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. It takes me time to get used to it, but it's so much fun because it just, it doesn't feel like normal driving at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I do love driving cars in other countries. <laughs> nice. So Angela, what would you consider to be your most epic solo trip? I think I, I was I was trying to think about that because I there's so many countries that are just magical. But I think for me, as far as a solo trip, it was when I decided to be a digital nomad. I had moved to Malaysia for a job that didn't work out. And then I was offered other jobs, but the salaries were so low. I hadn't realized the concession that this company had made when they relocated me. And so it turned out that it was, I made a lot more money just freelancing and working with different clients around the globe than having a full-time 40 hour a week job, about 40, 50, 60, whatever they are. So I took off from Kuala Lumpur and for close to six months, I was a digital nomad all around Southeast Asia. And because I have my YouTube channel and my luxury travel blog, I was able, not all of the time, but I was able to set up reviews. So while I was traveling, I wasn't spending any money on accommodations. And I was staying only in five-star hotels. I wasn't paying for food because, you know, I would have to review the restaurants and meet the chefs and all of that. So for me, it was... It was just this big win-win trip, but it was also just exciting. I traveled around Malaysia, um, even to Borneo um, on the Malaysian side. And I was in Singapore for a few weeks and Thailand. And I went to different, different islands in Malaysia as well and Indonesia. So it was just because of what it was and the amount of time that I lived out of a suitcase, that was, that was why I learned a lot about packing on that trip too, because I took things I never wore that were just so stupid. So I, I not as brutal a packer as you right now, but I definitely learned some amazing lessons that have helped me in my future, you know, in, in the future travels I've done so far. So wow. One of my favorite memories from those months as a digital nomad was uh, a week that I spent on Borneo. And I was given the opportunity to do some unusual sightseeing. And the way to get from point A to point B when I was doing the sightseeing was on a traditional Malaysian longboat. And we would go because I, because I was shooting video, I would always want to be the first one there. So we would leave. We got special permission to be able to arrive a little bit before everyone else. And so we would be traveling in the mornings, you know, 5.30, 6 a.m. on this longboat. And I remember seeing life start to, well, people starting to come to life along the river. And the Malaysia sounds like zombies. <laughs> no, no. Sorry, sorry, so like sorry. everyone was waking up. Everyone was waking sorry, up. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Like, there was um there was one gentleman who was, you know, he was stood in his his um on, no, he was stood on the side of the water and he was brushing his teeth and had a glass of water in his in his hand and his toothbrush, but he was, you know, his family must have still been asleep or he was about to hop in the boat. But he was there brushing his teeth, people fishing, and it just it's, it was it was very nice. Sounds like it's it sounds like it was a very kind of intimate moment to see that little village along the river, you know, waking up and getting to see sort of the routines of people. Um, those moments can be really, you know, that's not a planned tourist thing. That's just a moment that happens, and sometimes this does really stay with you. It really does. So Angela, um, I guess contrasting with, with other, other kinds of travel, with groups or with, with um, another person, how, how do you go about planning a solo trip? Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot over the years, actually, especially because of the YouTube channel and my blog um, on tips for, for how to plan a little bit more efficiently. But generally speaking, because I was a single mom on a really tight budget for so long. And even when my daughter went off to uni, I was still paying for her life and her education and mine. So it's only been the past couple of years that I've, I haven't had those restraints on me. So for the longest, I mean, for decades, I was traveling on a budget, but I 
always enjoyed nicer hotels and doing, I wanted champagne, but I had a beer budget. And so generally speaking, when I'm planning a trip, I don't always know where I'm going. I start to look at the cost of flights first and get a feel for how much it's going to cost with the air. And then I work backwards from there because, and I'm not always even particular about what city I fly into in a country either. If, if there's a great deal, then I'll shift. So once, once the air travel is decided and the, the country and the city of, of origin is fixed, then I turn on to Condé Nast Traveler and Travel and Leisure and I look at their country guides and their most relevant articles that they have on the cities or traveling that country. And I get a feel for what they say to do. And I jot down a couple of the, you know, if there's interesting properties that they mention. Then as I start to build out the itinerary, because generally speaking, I don't just fly and stay put somewhere. Um, if it's Langkawi or Bali, yeah, okay, maybe I fly and stay put and do day trips. But I then start making a list of food that I have to eat, the top destinations. I go onto UNESCO and I see what the UNESCO sites are for that country mm. if I didn't already get that information from Travel and Leisure or Condé Nast Traveler. I think everyone that travels frequently has their has a different, slightly different system. So what what do you do? How do you how do you plan a trip? In general, for, for any sort of travel, I'm going to start by outlining my objectives. Like, what is the real reason I'm going on this trip? What is it that I want to see or do or experience? And then based on that, um, then I can... Okay, but how do you know what you want to see or do and experience first? Because if you're going to a country you've never been to, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how would you know that first? I just mean like, imagine if your goal was you want to go cage diving with great white sharks. Or imagine if your goal is you want to see the Great Wall of China. Imagine, you know, there's different, um, let's say you want to go do some amazing hiking in some part of Utah. Like there's different, I agree, if, it, if your focus is a country, then you'll focus first on the country and then, then the objectives come second. Sometimes the objectives do come first though, I think. Um, no, it's interesting. I've, I've never... I've never done it that way. So, okay, carry on. Teach me. Okay, I'll, I'll walk you through my process or what I think is my process is, so I start by outlining my objectives, what I want to see or do or experience. For example, in the future, I really want to go cage diving with great white sharks, um, or I really want to go to the Great Wall of China, something like that. And then based on what I want to do, I'm then going to look at locations, like where are the best places in the world to do that from, you know, where are good places to stay, where are good places to travel through. But another thing that increasingly I like to incorporate in my travel is not just about the things to do, but also I have, at this point, I've met so many amazing people around the world and so many travelers and global citizens. I also like to kind of map out where my friends are. Because sometimes you can incorporate visiting friends uh, during your travels. You know, maybe but you were they... supposed to come here to see me in February, when the I right know. before lockdown, basically before lockdown really happened, February or March, it was something like that. Yeah, exactly. And so that trip would have been obviously an opportunity to see that country and that part of the world, but also visiting you. I would have that. That's a great example of structuring a, a trip around where a friend is based because and that is just that is travel gold when you that have a friend gold. that lives there or is based there they tell you the good things to see they tell you the the not good things to avoid you really that is the best way to do it i'm i would say if you can tr travel to see a friend that lives somewhere i would do that over paying for for a travel company or an excursion or a tour any day well and if you can use that as a home base you can take more things in your luggage as well and then just when you're off traveling around and you know out for a week you can pare down and and take a smaller piece but yeah mhm mm mhm mm definitely but no if you can build visiting friends into your trips i think that's just amazing so after I've outlined my objectives and I figured out locations and where my friends are in that, um, then I'm going to book flights. So look at flights. 
And then the very last thing I'm going to do is book the lodging, of course, because once I've established where the flights are, then I know where I, where I want to sleep. Well, and I don't, I don't always plan either. I'll, I'll pick a flight and I'll have the first hotel. And sometimes that's all I do. And mm-hmm. with, with my YouTube channel and I'm going, I'm going to a country either for my own reviews or on assignment for magazines, um, which I've done in the past as well, then that is structured because you, ha- you have that set up so far in advance because of approvals. Mm-hmm. But when I was a digital nomad, the times when I didn't have reviews scheduled, I didn't know where I'd be tomorrow. And there's something quite exciting about that because if you're talking to someone and they tell you this amazing place that you really, it's like you're saying, like with friends who are living someplace who know what to do and what not to do. It's nice to be able to be agile and just take off and devil may care and have fun and explore in that way. makes it feel a little bit more alive, like without the, the restraints of a, of a schedule. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, just in general, traveling alone, you have so much more flexibility and agility and you can make those decisions quite quickly if you want to change something. But I would say for any sort of travel, always build in flexibility into your itinerary because you don't know what you're going to find or get a great tip for something you want to go see. And if you've overbooked your itinerary and you have no flexibility, that can be the worst. No. All right. So rapid fire. Let's give some tips and advice. Great. Sound good? Okay. All right. What country would you recommend to first-time female solo travelers? Or what countries? Give me your top three. Ooh, top three. Just as a general characteristic, I think if it's your first time solo traveling, go somewhere that has good travel infrastructure. Agreed. So there's 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 established hotels and hostels. There's good local transport. There's good tour. All of that is built in. So you're not trying to scramble and make the travel happen. Um, second, a country where language is not going to be a huge barrier, I think would be more helpful. So either oh, I disagree. English, okay, sorry. Okay, Wait. let me tell you why, though. Either English is commonly spoken as a traveler language or a business language so that you can navigate through that space, or maybe from you, maybe you speak more than one language and you speak some of the, the local language. I just think it's hugely helpful in navigating, but go ahead and I, I, I welcome the healthy debate that... <laughs> no, I... Okay, it does make things easier, but it's not as exciting. It doesn't, it's not as challenging because back, back when I was first starting out, some of the countries I was going to first, I, I always had a phrase book with me and I tried to learn a bit of the language before I went. I think English is much more commonly spoken now than it was in 1990 when I was first solo traveling. So for me, I have such fond memories of flashcards, you know, on the plane trying to learn and cram this language or that language and using the phrase, I don't know, there was something, there was something extra, extra about those trips where, you know, I had to have the Arabic phrase book or people didn't really speak English in Spain or Mexico back then very much. And not to discredit that, I think that's a wonderful um, experience having to kind of mentally cram a language so that you have some of the basics to navigate. No, I think that's great. So which countries would you recommend? Top three countries that I would recommend for your first solo travel. People will say this is overdone, but Thailand. Thailand is an incredibly wonderful, fun-loving, welcoming country. And I think uh, for for someone who's, who's traveling to, to Asia for the first time, they're just, I mean, you can go there dressed as a banana they'll love you like you can do anything there's not (laughs) there's not like clothing restrictions there's not people are just really kind and fun loving and just some of the nicest people so thailand for sure okay Okay, yeah i love thailand i've been maybe i think i've been to thailand five times i just actually okay to plug something of my own i've just posted on my youtube channel in the past week a luxury guide to bangkok and a luxury guide to phuket with the top five places to stay and what to do. And so that was, that was my most recent video on YouTube. So for me, I think my number one is Spain. I have traveled, I've road tripped the entire country. I lived in Spain for 12 years, uh, just south of Barcelona in a seaside village. So I have a ton of love for Barcelona. 
but the entire country is just beautiful and the architecture is gorgeous. And the people, okay, well, the people in Barcelona, they're quite rude to tourists because they are inundated with tourists and don't, don't love it. But once you get outside of Barcelona or outside of Madrid, people are very, very sweet. But it's a beautiful country. It's safe. I think that would be a perfect, epic solo trip. Mm-hmm. All right, what's your next one? Portugal. This is where I live now, and it's an amazing country. And I, some of the, oh, great food, some of the best wine I've ever had. It is so hard to find bad wine in Portugal, and it's incredibly cheap. I don't know how they do it. Um, yeah, so I have to do a plug for my, my country of residence. Portugal is amazing and lots of English speakers and everyone is so kind. Well, and it's obviously very safe. You're on a solo cycle trip right now around the country. Yeah. And it's one of, it's considered one of the safest countries in the world. That's not why I moved here, but I keep, I don't know, as you're in a place, you learn more about it and it's, um, an incredibly safe country. Yeah. You know, I'm going to say Malaysia for my next one. It's incredibly safe and there is so much to do. And within a week or 10 days, you can literally go from a UNESCO protected rainforest on the island of Borneo to Langkawi, which is like the Bali of Malaysia, to Penang, which is the foodie epicenter of the country and a UNESCO UNESCO protected city that you feel like you've stepped back in 16th century China. And Kuala Lumpur, which is a vibrant city with the Patronas Twin Towers. And it's just so much fun to eat your way through not only just Kuala Lumpur, but Malaysia. And mm-hmm. when you're there, you could also do a quick, quick trip down to Singapore. It's a quick 40-minute flight to Singapore, very cheap, like less than $100 round trip. And Singapore is great fun for a few days. So I would say a combo of Malaysia and Singapore would be would be perfect. Yeah, that sounds great. So just in order to have some regional representation, I do want to do a small plug for a country that's dear to my heart because I did some work there. Zambia. Okay. Zambia in um, South, South Central African continent. Zambia is an incredible place. It's a beautiful country. They have some of the best safaris in the world. So if you want to be able to go and see animals you normally could only see in a zoo in their natural habitat, Zambia is amazing. It's also an incredibly safe country. I mean, one of the safest countries I've ever lived and worked in. Um, People are incredibly courteous and kind. And there is great travel infrastructure, um, especially when you get down. They have Victoria Falls, which is one of the biggest waterfalls in the world. There's a great night scene. There's some really great bars that are just, I, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but Zambia is wonderful. And Zambia, you go to the bars and you feel like you're welcome as a foreigner, but the bars are mostly full of Zambians. Like it's not, there's places you can go in the world where you feel like the bars are only foreigners and it yeah. doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like they're for the people. And in Zambia, mostly I felt like the bars are for the people. Okay. Zambia is amazing. Big shout out to Zambia. Big shout out to Zambia. I love Zambia. (laughs) All right, let me see. My last one. I'm trying to think of places where I always, where I always felt safe, where there wasn't any ooey moments or there was no leering by men and anything that made me not want to explore back alleyways at night and, you know, just dive in. I think I'm going to go with China. And I will tell you, I lived there for a few months. I've also been to a couple of different cities in China um, just as a tourist. I actually have a 10-year visa for China that's still valid. Yes. How did you get that? We need to talk about that. (laughs) I'll tell you after. They were giving, I'll I'll tell you after. But yeah, it's fabulous. I'm super happy about having that because it's also my plan C if everything goes tits up and I don't end up getting a visa now to Singapore since Malaysia has forbidden all Americans. And I was supposed to be moving there in October. Um, China is now like my plan, plan D or E, I think. So, but I would say going into either Beijing or Shanghai and 
If you fly into Beijing, there are some amazing places to see the Great Wall of China. Close by, Beijing is a really amazing city with the with the Forbidden City. There's back alleyways to walk through that have been there for centuries, and it's they. There's not a lot of English spoken, but you can get by. And some of the amazing UNESCO sites are just so picturesque. It's incredibly, incredibly safe, and there's just such a diversity of what to see. And if you traveled the Silk Road for a week, that would be amazing. It's yes, China, China. I'm sticking with China. I love it. I love it. That's great. I, if we could talk about more countries, I would probably mention New Zealand, which is incredible. I would probably、um, try to orient us towards、um, Central South America and talk about some lovely countries there. Yeah, I think once you've done the first trip and you. Have that confidence that you can go anywhere because you and I have both traveled to places where it's been dodgy as far as being a female, like India, and there there are countries like that. Even Italy, like as as nice as Italy is, like the men, they they catcall, they will whack your backside, they. It's a great place、yeah. to travel. I love Italy. I love traveling Italy. But you, as a woman, it's it's a little bit like Ecuador and you know places like that where the men are just a, a little bit、yeah. more overtly sexual in a way that makes us women uncomfortable. And that's the frustrating thing. Again, it's it's alluding back to what I said before about a lot of spaces being traditionally male spaces, and you know, women going there if they're accompanied by a male. But if you go there alone as a female, you can see a very different side to a city. For example, I went to to Cuba for three weeks.、Oh, Amazing.、Wow. But I was so frustrated because there were parts of Havana I would walk through, and the men would just like catcall, and I was getting so frustrated and angry because. I know there is a cultural element to men being very vocal on the streets towards women in Cuba, but I just did not appreciate it. <laughs> no, it, that was. It just it makes you is, not want to walk around as much at times. Yes. Because、yes. you just know you're going to be subjected to that,、mm-hmm. and it's not like that in every country. Thank goodness. Yeah. No, no, it's not. Thank goodness. Not.、Um, yeah, thank goodness it's not because that would just be exhausting. But it is frustrating in those moments where you're again you're like it's not enough to be female you have to be accompanied by a male to not be you know verbally harassed and、um, I have encountered you know numerous situations like that and that's、um, I I think the frustrating thing for me is like I my my goal and my hope is to to walk this earth as a human being. First and a female second, if that makes sense. Like I'm a human being, and I should be treated as a human being. And there are settings and and moments where men decide to treat you like you are there for them or sexual pleasure or whatever they think you are there for. You know, it's considered a male space, and you're in it. And those are just the most degrading moments. Those are the moments where I really like. I get so angry. I want. I there's a dark part of me that wants to inflict pain on them, but I'm like, you know, if I if I hurt them, that's not helping anything either. <laughs> <laughs> Is this your kickboxing coming into? Yes, coming into use. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. So, but it's so frustrating, you know. Like, you know, well, you know what I'm talking about. No, I really do know what you're talking about. Negatively、right. affects your experience. Well, and la- okay, let's leave on a fun on a fun note. So, the last tip I'd love for us to share is how to really get to know a city. What would you say is your go-to? Uh, activity or one thing that you always do on a trip, if possible, to really get to know the city. There are different ways to approach this, but I'll tell you one thing that I used to do a lot. I don't do it as much anymore. Maybe I should revive it. But if you like to walk,、uh, I used to have a game I played with myself where, if I was in a new city, I would write down the address of my lodging on a piece of paper. You can also put it on your phone, but sometimes I like having things on paper. And I would put it in my pocket, and then I would just set out. And my goal was just to walk around the city. So I wanted to just organically visit the city, the best parts, the worst parts, whatever I would encounter. And then I would always make it a game to see if I could、um, kind of understand the layout and the landmarks and make my way back to lodging without using GPS, without using a map.、Um, so that was. And if I failed, if I couldn't find my way back, I just pull out the address and I give it to the taxi driver, and I'd go back to my hotel.、Um, nice. So that's a game I used to play with myself, but you have to really、Sweet. love walking 
to play that game. No, no. Walking is a great way to get to know a city. Do you know that the podcast is titled Always Get Lost? Because that's my favorite thing to do at least once when I'm on a trip. And when I used to travel with my daughter before she went off to uni, we would pick like a metro stop. So we were in the Czech Republic for Christmas and New Year one, one year. We were in Prague. And we literally just kind of picked on the map okay, we're going to, uh, it was like IP Pavlova or something like that. And we did that. We walked out and then we just, we walked and got lost and took photos and had a great time. And, but that's why the podcast is called Always Get Lost. I love that. All right. My tip is when, whenever possible, go to a night market. If you're in a city that has a night market or an organic farmer's market if you're in a someplace that has that or like a food truck lot or something somewhere where you can dig in and try kind of the street food and the local food. And that's mm-hmm. really easy in, in Asia because in Asia, night markets are very popular, especially Southeast Asia, which is where I've called home for the past several years. So that's that's number one on my list, but finding a way to get a sampling of the local cuisine, I think is mm-hmm. a great way as well. I think that's great. Another tip I would add is I like to start in the oldest part of the city. So a lot of cities will have can have an older part and then it kind of expanded out and you'll have the newer parts. Start in the older part of the city. That's usually kind of the heart of the city and where the original inspiration and beauty comes from. And then you can work your way out to the newer parts if there's other things you want to see. Yeah, I often try to stay in the older parts as well. Like Istanbul, I I stayed in in the old city. But the problem with that is that the older... The, the older part of the city, the hotels don't generally have like double plane, double paned glass that block out all the noise. And it's a little bit more, um, yeah, your, your good night's sleep isn't always guaranteed in those mm-hmm. spots, but it does, you just, you feel the charm and you, you feel the history. That's, that's a great, that's a great tip. All right, madam. Well, this has been very fun and you were a genuine delight to swap tales with and I learned a lot from you you're you put on your Instagram bio that you're a travel addict and having been to 58 countries I think that is very apt it's it's amazing what you've accomplished at just 34 years old Thank you so much, Angela. It's been a real pleasure. Um, we haven't had an opportunity in a long time to sit down and and talk about travel. And um, I don't know if we've ever sat down and talked specifically about it, what it's like as a solo female traveler. So this has been a joy. And I've learned from you as well. I love the point about um, researching in advance where the UNESCO World Heritage Sites are. Generally, oh. for me, I just go places and they're like, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. I'm like, oh, I had no idea. That's so good. Um, but I, I, will, I, will, I will take that tip with me for sure. Yeah, it, it really helps to try and figure out the itinerary if you know that they're not all worth going out. I mean, okay, that, I'm not sure how to say that in a way that doesn't sound like I'm disparaging UNESCO, but they're, they're not all going to be everyone's cup of tea. But mm-hmm. there, there are some surprising uh, UNESCO sites that you wouldn't know or cities that it's just seven blocks within the city that are the UNESCO protected areas that are just mm-hmm. so worth seeing. Thank you again. So let us know again what your social media channel is and your blog. And do you have another trip lined up after this bike trip or are you are you going to lay low for a bit after this? Yeah. So just to um, summarize from, from earlier, I'm on day 11 of my 30-day cycling trip. So there are 19 days left. Math. I can do math. <laughs> there are 19 days left to this trip. Um, I'm posting daily on Instagram at Alexa Travels the Globe. I'm posting daily on Facebook at Alexa Travels the Globe. And I'm also posting full blog posts on alexatravels.com under the Cycling Portugal tab. So those are the best ways to, if you're interested in following this crazy solo female cycling journey, that's the best way to follow. 
Um, after this, I don't have any travel planned on the horizon, just given the COVID-19 situation. I'm really, um, for me, this is a time to, to be cautious and also to focus on, of course, respecting the rules and regulations for your, your country or your area, um, exploring our own backyards. You know, this is, a, this is a time to embrace what's a little closer to home because so often we overlook that. But maybe that's one of the gifts of the, the current pandemic is, you know, spending more time with loved ones and, and appreciating our own backyards a bit more. That's very true. Well, and I'm sorry, but Lisbon is a gorgeous, that's a gorgeous backyard to have as your playground. Yeah, well, whenever COVID calms down and international travel is more feasible, I will come find you somewhere yes. and we'll, we will toast to a long remote friendship and solo female traveling. Oh, how do you say goodbye in Portuguese? Uh, we say adios. Adios. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. adios. Wait, adios. 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 Yeah. Okay. Everything is very sh in Portuguese. Adios. <laughs> Ciao, we Obrigada. Muito obrigada. Adios. <laughs> Ciao.